hey the desi crime fans i'm your host aryan and i'm ishwara and welcome back to another episode of the desi crime podcast this podcast is run by 220 some year olds and supported by an amazing team at lost debate when you contribute to our patreon or share us with your friends you too become a part of our team so if you have the means please contribute to our patreon and if you don't please share our episodes and posts on your social media be a loyal desi crew member go to patreon.com/desicrime we would like to thank our latest patrons alicia tarasi and kristen minnes thank you for showing your love your contributions truly help sustain the show when you visit an indian restaurant from the god awfully long menu there is one type of food item that always stands out us desis are in fact known for this around the world the tandoor from tandoori naan to tandoori chicken and hell even tandoori paneer for all our vegetarian listeners out there the tandoor is an integral part of any brown kid's childhood but this seemingly innocent cylindrical clay oven found itself embroiled in a case that captured and haunted delhiites for years this cylindrical clay oven once stood at the center of a love story a hate story and an impeccable investigation conducted by the delhi police in the late 1990s this is the story of that clay oven this is the story of the tandoor murder Delhi is often portrayed to be a bustling city with its bazaars, traffic and everything in between. Sunday nights can get really quiet, especially a Sunday in July. A blisteringly hot and humid scene with the odd howling of a stray dog or barking of a drunk man. Parts of Delhi get really silent in July. July 2nd, 1995 was no different. It was around 11 p.m. when under the dark skies of Delhi when pollution hadn't yet swept the country's capital and the stars were still visible constable Kunju and home guard Chanderpal of the Delhi police set off on their routine patrolling of the Janpath area Kunju and Chanderpal set out perhaps expecting the same old same old you know a drunkard causing a ruckus burglaries that infested 90s Delhi maybe the odd carjacking but that's about it Not long after they left the Kinnaur Place police station with only a stick also called a lathi did they spot something out of the ordinary something that was certainly not routine or expected for the duo at 11:25 pm barely half an hour into their patrol large flames emanated into the starry sky the flames seemed to be coming from near the Yatri Nivas hotel on Ashoka road They hurried to the scene to decipher the root cause of the fire and it was indeed coming from the hotel but not the main hotel building rather the restaurant inside the hotel the Bagia barbecue restaurant now you might think for a second was this just smoke from the restaurant after all it is a barbecue restaurant but no 
Firstly, it was almost midnight on a Sunday. The restaurant would have been closed. And secondly, these were no ordinary flames. This was clearly not a barbecue gone wrong. It genuinely seemed to the cops like there was a fire hazard that was going to engulf the building. Constable Kunju approached the entrance of the Bagya restaurant and could clearly see the source of the fire somewhere inside the kitchen. Thankfully, though, the security guard of the hotel informed the cops that it was nothing to worry about. They were just burning some waste paper and cardboard inside. If the guard of the building that seems to be burning is not worried, well, it is fair to assume that the fire was under control, right? So the two cops did not protest. Satisfied, they headed back to continue on their six-hour-long grueling patrol. As they were heading back, someone could be heard screeching in the distance. Hotel mein aag lagi hai. Hotel mein aag lag gai. There is fire in the hotel. There is fire in the hotel. These creatures became louder. Anaro Devi, a vegetable vendor, ran towards the cops helplessly to warn them of the fire. These flames were clearly bigger, clearly a fire hazard. This wasn't just cardboard and waste being set on fire. This was a proper fire reaching 35 feet into the sky, sending streams of smoke all through the air. It was no longer the starry night of Delhi in the 90s, but more like the Delhi we see now, clouded with smoke. This time, the security guard's consolation was futile. The cops went past the hotel gates up to the entrance of the restaurant. This time, the security guard's consolation was futile. The cops went past the hotel gates up to the entrance of the restaurant. There, they met a man in a white kurta. His name was Keshav Kumar, the manager of the restaurant. He wasn't alarmed by the flames coming from his own restaurant. He had an explanation after all. Just burning some old posters, he told the cops. He told them not to be worried and that everything was under control. Not to Constable Kunju, who was hardly consoled by this justification. Aryan, I just want to point out that to burn posters or burn cardboard or burn wood at almost 12 in the night in June, July in Delhi sounds odd to me. For anyone that's grown up in Delhi, it's insanely hot. And to do this, it's not like a normal campfire on a cold winter night. To do this this late in the night is 100% very peculiar. And I'm guessing the same exact thought ran past Constable Kunju, who thought this was, even if it was what he was saying it was, it just didn't make any sense as to why would you be doing this. And so, as you said, he ran to the nearest police outpost and telephoned all the emergency units. Constable Kunju called the police control room and the fire brigade. Fires were no small joke in Delhi in the 1990s, Ashwarya. There, there was this infamous Siddharth Continental Hotel fire in 1986 that is etched in Delhi's memory. 37 people were torched to death in that hotel. Oh my god. Kunju did not want a replica of that incident under his watch a decade later. By the time he was back, the fire had merely intensified. Now the cop duo demanded entry in the restaurant to see what's what. They were met with the same excuses and the men at the restaurant barred the cops from entering. And that's understandable, right? Why would they let them enter? It's their restaurant and they didn't seem to be having a problem with the fire, nor do the cops have a warrant. But 
that didn't stop constable kunju who was certain by this point that this fire even if intentional and completely innocent was a hazard for the hotel building even if keshav kumar did not mean harm by lighting that fire kunju was worried it will burn down the restaurant and the hotel with it so the cops found an alternate route into the restaurant this time by climbing a 7 feet fence and entering the back of the restaurant inside the kitchen where the flames were emanating from they met the same man in a white kurta who had refused them entry just a few minutes back keshav kumar the manager of the restaurant keshav was stoking the flames in an attempt to make them even bigger Behind Kesha was another man draped also in a white kurta but with a rounded belly his name was Sushil Sharma proud owner of the Bagia barbecue so it wasn't like this was a fire by random arsonists it was the employees and owner of the restaurant who had assembled the bonfire and at first glance it was a pretty weird fire to have in a kitchen anyway the fire was coming from a tandoor an integral part of any indian barbecue restaurant and around the tandoor were logs of wood and other materials stacked it was obviously not a fire meant to grill naan or chicken or hell any kind of food it was evident that the men were burning waste but nonetheless the fire was a hazard Kunju confronted Keshav and Sushil and told him that this fire could burn the entire hotel down to which Sushil had an interesting retort you see he said that he was a congress party worker and was simply burning old campaign posters this felt like a you know the read between the lines kind of response the the kind where you say something but you mean something else so shiel wanted to let constable kunju a lowly designation in the police know who he was dealing with and not to mess about to kunju's credit the mention of affiliation to a political party did not stop him him and chandrapal began filling up buckets of water to douse the fire By this time other cops were on the scene sub inspector rajesh kumar was among them all the cops now helped kunju in eliminating the fire and within minutes successfully extinguished it while extinguished the flames had already done their fair share of damage some overhead cables appeared to be burned so the cops decided to assess the damage they took keshav kumar who they believed caused the fire with them as they entered the adjacent yatri nivas hotel They proceeded to the first floor terrace that overlooked the Bagia restaurant. You see, Bagia means a garden in Hindi. So this restaurant essentially had a garden with an outdoor dining area. As the cops were looking around for signs of the fire's aftermath, Kunju noticed some heat float up, followed by the wretched smell of smoke. When he looked over the terrace into the restaurant, to their astonishment the fire was back on the tandoor was set ablaze and there the self proclaimed congress party worker sushil sharma was at it again fanning the flames oh my god they're just not letting this fire go i think the cops would be significantly less suspicious had they just let it go for a while after the cops first arrived but oh, they're not letting it go 100% yeah kunju had had enough by this point he ran to the edge of the terrace jumped to the bottom into the back of the restaurant from the terrace so this constable's bravado ashwara is like um, unbelievable he's scaling 7 feet fences jumping into the terrace right out <laughs> of a bollywood movie you know yeah. um once he was into the restaurant he forced his way into the kitchen 
by the time he made it in there sushil had disappeared the proud owner of bagia had called mayday from his own restaurant and like a cowardly captain abandoned ship this time however it wasn't just the flame or the smoke that afflicted constable kunju there was a palpable change in the smell it didn't smell like burning plastic or cardboard kunju could smell roasted meat but he didn't have time to think of all of that first things first end the fire back at it again with buckets and buckets of water kunju was able to well kind of extinguish the tandoor with a few smaller flames still ablaze but at least manageable now he decided to peer into the tandoor to see what exactly was it that was being burned what exactly was it that had to be torched with 35 feet flames at 11 in the night on a sunday in july he used a pole probably you know the kind used to flip around naans inside a tandoor to poke the contents of the tandoor what kunju found wasn't paper wasn't cardboard wasn't campaign posters either crouched in the tandoor was a charred human body curled up nothing other than a patch of hair remained unscathed from the flames the bagia restaurant was turned into a mortuary by the assailants that had now disappeared the wooden logs around the tandoor perversely resembled a hindu pyre the traditional cremation conducted by hindus but this was far from a traditional ritual what it was the cops were not exactly sure but what began as a determined and diligent investigation by constable kunju into a fire on ashoka road in delhi in a moment's passing became one of india's most infamous murder investigation a blackened body burnt with nothing but a patch of black hair hanging loose remained who was this woman and who was sushil sharma only one man could answer keshav kumar by now the crime scene is bustling with cops it was late in the night for the media to roll in so the site was being keenly investigated by men in uniform keshav wasn't answering he was evading all the questions except one when the police asked keshav what his relationship to sushil sharma the owner of the restaurant was all keshav murmured was unke mujh pe kafi ehsaan hai i am highly indebted to him but who was sushil sharma who the cops thought to be the prime suspect despite him being a congress worker and the owner of the restaurant what was he doing at 11 pm and was he even aware of the contents of the tandoor and the cops who did the cops belong to for that we'll have to rewind our clocks as we often do all the way back to april 13th 1966 when harbhajan singh not the cricketer guys when harbhajan singh and jaswant kaur gave birth to the love of their lives their darling daughter nena nena was an absolute superstar she graduated from shyam prasad mukherjee college of delhi university in 1986 with top notch grades then she joined the delhi flying club for a student pilot license eventually getting her private pilot license from the uk 
Firstly, wow. that's kick-ass just in and of itself, right? But Naina's accolades are all too long to list on a, you know, on this podcast. While at Delhi University and flying school, she was deeply involved in college politics as well. She had made giant leaps in her political career at a very young age as part of the National Students Union of India, NSUI, the student wing of the Indian National Congress. And that's where her destiny crossed paths with another aspiring, young and ambitious NSUI worker named Sushil Sharma. She was an active worker for the NSUI during her college days between 1983 and 1984, when she was first introduced to Sushil Sharma by a friend. In 1986, when Sushil became the president of the NSUI, which is a very prestigious post, he nominated his new acquaintance, Nana, to the post of the state secretary general. These were two ambitious kids making headways in their political careers. But there was no romantic fling between the two. It was a platonic and professional relationship, or at least it remained so for a while. Because you see, Nana was in love with someone else. His name was Matloob Karim. If you didn't guess it already, Matloob was Muslim. Nana was Sikh. That was a relationship not many in society would approve, let alone in the 90s, but even to date. Nevertheless, Matloob and Nana nurtured their relationship and lived together since 1984. It is unclear what exactly happened between them or when it happened, but Matloob ended up marrying someone else. The details are sparse, but whatever happened between the two, their relationship came to an end when Nana found out that Matloob was marrying someone within his community, a woman named Naz Gul. When in December of 1988, the man who Nana wanted to marry so bad married someone else, she decided, obviously, to move out. But for whatever reason, there was an understanding between the pair. They didn't seem to have ended their relationship on a sour note. In fact, it was more than cordial. They had vowed to each other to remain friends. Now, whether or not they just remain friends is up for speculation, but not soon after leaving Matloob, Nana was in love again. This time with someone she worked very closely with. Someone who shared the same interests, career and ambition as hers. The president of the NSUI, Sushil Sharma. When Nana's relationship with Sushil began, I'm certain it was a loving one. But if initially it was a relationship of love, it soon turned into something to the contrary. As her family describes it, quote, Nana had to stop at the second rung of the ladder of her political career because she fell in love with Sushil Sharma. His precondition to marriage was that Nana should stop all her political activities and forget about her political aspirations. She agreed, end quote. What? Mm-hmm. So the once ambitious pilot and aspiring politician was now caged in a house in apartment 8-2A DIZ Sector 2 Mandirmag. Not many years after leaving Matloob, in May of 1992, Sushil and Nana were married at the Birla Mandir in the presence of only Nana's family. Sushil's family wasn't present. The marriage from the get-go was kept on the hush-hush. 
it wasn't a big wedding for whatever reason perhaps to not draw attention something to do with sushil's political career i am unclear on what the cause was but the fact of the matter is that the couple from 1992 onwards lived together in the mandir marg apartment but ishwar if there was love in the beginning most certainly it dissipated somewhere down the line The once free spirit in Nana was now a caged bird confined by the boundaries of a small Delhi apartment. To worsen her plight, Sushil had denied her the ability to advance her political career. So Nana was now limited to working on her own small boutique, which by the way, credit to her, she made into a successful business. You have literally caged someone who can actually fly airplanes in an apartment. that would have been fine maybe because nana had herself consented to those restrictions what happened after their marriage was something nana hadn't consented to and something nana simply wasn't prepared for sushil was abusive towards nana domestic abuse was rampant in apartment 8/2a in mandirmag the often drunk sushil beat her in the evenings when he returned from work all the while being overprotective and insecure he didn't let other men come near her nor did he allow her to talk to other men the breaking point came when nana discovered sushil's affair with ila junjunwala a woman living in south delhi Sushil and Ila had a long-term relationship prior to his marriage with Nana. So after discovering the affair, Nana contacted Ila. Ila unsparingly revealed to Nana all that there was to tell about Sushil, his womanizing ways and affairs and on and on. Nana had had enough. She decided not to take Sushil's beatings anymore without retaliating. But she still didn't want to end things, you see. The very opposite in fact. she became a vocal to sushil about making their relationship public nana was in pain physical and emotional in fact she wrote in a page of her diary the following quote sushil i know you hate me you cannot accept me so do not waste your time take care of yourself and forgive me leave me to my fate we cannot continue like this because i cannot win your confidence even by killing myself take away whatever you have to don't misunderstand me do not let your life be spoiled i know i do not deserve you leave me and make the best from your life but do not say anything to my family they are innocent if you want to you can punish me end quote the last sentence punish me if you want to in retrospect is haunting for sushil did punish her in these tough times nana sought counsel in her past lover and her now friend matloob matloob and nana had parted on good terms and he was her confidant sushil always suspected there to be something between them and hated matloob's guts now ishwara what are your thoughts about nana having long and frequent conversations with her ex confiding to him about things about her relationship with her now husband so i personally don't find something incredibly wrong with being friends with your ex and having frequent contact and such 
but obviously she was telling him about her now husband because of the way her now husband was behaving i'm sure if it was a perfectly healthy marriage and relationship between the two she wouldn't be going to her ex and having these conversations if you know what i mean exactly in my opinion that isn't okay if viewed in isolation right but when viewed in the right. context of an abusive social or controlling social it completely makes sense but it makes no difference if it makes sense to me you or our listeners the one person who it didn't make sense to was sushil sharma and his raging insecurity alcoholism and domestic abuse reached its peak on 2nd july 1995 3 years into their relationship july in delhi is hot humid marred by the incoming monsoon to those that can afford the luxury the air conditioner is man's best friend Apartment 8/2A Sector 2 Mandir Marg was perhaps the only apartment in that neighborhood which had air conditioning. It is around evening and Nana pours herself her favorite drink, a bloody mary. It's my favorite drink too. It's essentially vodka mixed with tomato juice and the magic ingredient Tabasco sauce lined with salt on the glass rim. My dad used to ask for virgin bloody marys, essentially, you know, bloody mary without the vodka all the time on airplanes and I guess he got me hooked on to it. Although I don't mind a little vodka in there, you know, Ashwara. You all, I think Aryan got me hooked to this drink. I am in love with tomato juice and Bloody Marys so ever since I've known so Aryan. Uh, they're so good. You're one of the only people who I've gotten to make, you know, like it. You're people one of the, the only drink. people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. As she lay in the cool bedroom, sipping on her beverage, she imagined the beautiful future that awaited her. After all, she was escaping India. She had had enough of her abusive husband and sought to move to Australia where she had enlisted to work. She dialed her now alleged friend Matloob to inquire about her visa. Nana had instructed Matloob to visit her travel agent and collect the visa on her behalf. Matloob said he hadn't yet but he would do so in a day or two. Meanwhile around 8:15 p.m. Sushil Sharma pulled into the building's parking lot and made his way to his apartment. Off the phone now, Nana blandly greets her husband and offers him a drink. They both drink more. There isn't much of a conversation. Just sips followed by more sips. With the alcohol coursing through his bloodstream, all those insecurities come to the surface. He begins doubting Nana and as was routine redialed the last dial number on the telephone when she was not looking from the other side of the receiver came a hello it was a deep voice evidently a man's a man Sushil knew all too well it was Matloob that is all the evidence Sushil needed as he hung up the phone and stormed into the bedroom He found it he thought the piece of evidence to point at Nana's infidelity a screaming match between the two ensued he was mad the alcohol had had a vastly different impact on the two nana was several drinks in and now she was subdued tired of both her life and the alcohol so sheel had consumed just enough alcohol to be emboldened he had decided in his mind to listen to the devil in him What happened next is best described by Officer Maxwell Pereira, one of the lead investigators on the case. 
quote, quietly he goes to the chest of drawers, opens one, takes out his revolver and inspects it, then loads it with four cartridges. In cold blood, without a second thought, he turns around and aims at Nana's head, firing three times at point-blank range. Two of the bullets find their mark in Nana's head and neck. The third bullet misses and hits the plywood in the air conditioner. Nana falls, bleeding profusely. She writhes in pain on the bed for a moment and is still. She dies almost instantaneously. End quote. Ravi Nana Sani was shot in cold blood on 2nd July 1995 to her death. Once she fell dead, with blood splattered all over the bedroom, the demon in Sushil faded, and he gathered his wits about him. He didn't have time to mourn and lament his actions. He drank cool water to calm his nerves, and the million-dollar question prodded at him. What to do with Nana's body? The most obvious answer to an amateur murderer, it was his first time after all, is what happens in all crime movies. Throw the victim into a water body. But that's way tougher than it sounds. Nevertheless, he decided to dispose her body in the Yamuna River. Everything that happened from that point forth was chaos. He didn't know what he was doing. He grabbed the bedsheet and wrapped Nana's body in it and then wrapped it further with the plastic sheet used for dining tables. All the while, he tried to wipe the blood off of himself and the floor, but that was simply too much and too little time. He drags the body downstairs all the way to the parking lot where his Maruti is. He opens the rear end or the dicky, stuffs the corpse awkwardly into the car, only to realize his white kurta pajama is drenched in blood. He didn't realize in all the panic to change his clothes. He headed back up, changed clothes, came back to his car and drove off towards Yamuna at around 9.30pm. So Aran, you rightfully mentioned that movies show this, but it does sound like a terrible idea. From everything I know, it's pretty obvious that bodies just float up again a while later. And in Delhi, a river like the Yamuna, it's not like it's unvisited. It's not like nobody's going to find the body. Someone will. But Ashwara, he just committed a murder for the first time in a rage, in a you know fit of fury. One can right. only That's imagine fair. what would be pacing through his mind. Not only did he have a body to dispose of, but the house was a mess with evidence in the form of blood splattered all over. By the time he reached the ITO bridge that spans the stretch of the Yamuna River, he realized how impractical his plan was. Not only is the bridge near the Delhi police headquarters, funnily enough, there is simply <laughs> too much traffic. This is Delhi at 9pm. Of course there is traffic. He shifts gear, hatches a new plan. He takes a U-turn and heads toward Ashoka Road, towards a restaurant of all places. At 10.15pm, Sushil reaches the Bagia Barbecue Restaurant. He is, after all, the owner of this popular joint. He confesses to Keshav, the manager of the restaurant, his crime, and begs for his help. Keshav is disgusted and appalled, but nonetheless resolves to help. This is because Sushil had helped Keshav through some of his toughest times, and Keshav wasn't leaving now. 
all the guests who are eating are told to hurry and are effectively kicked out of the restaurant and keshav gives all the staff members 25 rupees in lieu of the free meal they all get at the end of a night's work shift the restaurant by this point has just a few people remaining sushil keshav and a security guard outside who has no idea what is going down in the kitchen what is going down in the kitchen is this a makeshift diy pyre is erected around the tandoor with wooden logs and pieces of paper the plastic bag with the body is placed over the tandoor and more wood is placed onto it before they set nana's corpse ablaze they look around for ghee i know it all sounds absurdly disgusting but bear with me a little known fact is that somehow this barbecue restaurant didn't have ghee the night this murder took place so sushil so sent keshav out to grab butter and they used four slabs of amul butter to burn a human being's body oh my god i know it sounds horrid it sounds disgusting to even say it but imagine what happened to people who lived near ashoknagar during this event for a whole year people in the neighborhood stopped eating tandoori food tandoori restaurants across delhi felt the brunt of this mishap the tandoor is supposed to be this beautiful component of a traditional indian kitchen its roots in fact ashwara originate in rajasthan where archaeologists have found tandoor remains dating from 2600 BC about the same time as the pyramids the first tandoors were used to bake a bread that resembled a roti there is rich cultural value this device has in the lives of many indians but on 2nd july 1995 it was defiled with a heinous crime instead of being on the menu the tandoor found itself in the center of a murder that shook the nation while burning his wife's body sushil kept repeating ye maine kya kar diya ye mujhse kya ho gaya what have i done how could i have done this perhaps a tad too late to regret but it was all futile wasn't it because at 11 patrolling the streets were constable kunju the investigation unfolded at a rapid pace once nana's body was identified by her parents so shiel was being hunted he was on the run eloping from one city to the other trying to use his political connections to help him it was in bangalore that sushil finally surrendered on 10th july pleading innocence but his cries of innocence were in vain it couldn't have been a simpler investigation even if he used his political connections from witness testimony to dna evidence in fact ishwara this was the first time dna evidence was ever used in india there was simply too much stacked against him and his lawyers he was sentenced to death on november 7th 2003 by the trial court the high court on february 19th 2007 confirmed the death penalty awarded to him saying the offense was quote an act of extreme depravity that shook the conscience of the society end quote however his sentence was reduced to life in prison and you know what ishwara he was released from jail on december 21st 2018 for completing what? his life sentence 
you know the bench said quote incarceration of convicted prisoners such as sharma serving life term does not result in suspension of his fundamental right and he is not denuded of the rights enshrined in every person within the meaning of article 21 of the constitution of india basically the rule in india is life in prison doesn't actually mean until you die in prison in practical terms essentially when a convict is sentenced to life their case requires review after 20 years in prison Sushil had been in prison since 1995 and as heinous as his crime was he did come to accept his mistake he regretted every moment of it according to him and in the prison ashwara he actually became a devout hindu seeking solace and forgiveness in religion now forgiving him is not up to me but when he left jail this is what he had to say for himself make of it what you want to quote i am the only son the last few years inside prison were the most difficult ones for me my parents had to be hospitalized and were keeping unwell there was no one to take care of them i do not know what i will do apart from being there for my parents i am starting a new life today i have to first perform my duty as a son i have spent over 20 years in prison If I can be of any help to Tehar I would be happy to help the jail administration I have no complaints against anyone all the negativity in my life that one second which cost me 23 years has been washed away by the sweat inside prison end quote <laughs> 